Hello and welcome to Ditching Hourly. I'm Jonathan Stark. My guest today is Dr. Sherry Walling. Sherry is a licensed clinical psychologist who helps high-performing professionals meet their potential to enjoy personal well-being, life satisfaction, and a sense of meaning. Sherry has a PhD in clinical psychology and two master's degrees. In addition, she completed research fellowships at Yale University School of Medicine and the National Center for Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder. Through her podcast, which is called Zen Founder, her speaking engagements, and her consulting work, Sherry helps entrepreneurs, freelancers, and executives with burnout, anxiety, existential angst, conflicts, major transitions, and personal balance. In our short conversation today, she helped me with a couple of things, and I think you're really going to enjoy the conversation. Check it out. And let us know what you think. Sherry, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jonathan. I'm super excited to talk to you today. I am totally looking forward to this conversation. Uh, to start off, could you give the folks a little bit of context, tell them who you are and what you do, that sort of thing? Absolutely. So I'm a clinical psychologist who hangs out with software developers, which is sort, <laughs> sort of a niche activity. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I am married to Rob Walling of Drip and Microconf and various other things. And we've been married for about 17 years. And over the course of our life together, I have made this transition from being a sort of traditional academic professor, psychologist, to being someone who specializes in working with entrepreneurs, founders, executives, mostly in the software space. And that transition happened largely because that's who we were hanging out with as a family and as a couple. And I came to see that there are some pretty significant and unique mental health challenges that go along with um, that particular vocational choice. And I, I wanted to help um, people be a little bit healthier, try to help prevent some mental health problems for folks who are going out on their own um, as independent software developers. Oh, that's awesome. Yes. I, I am, I'm a sort of a tough love person. I'm not super touchy feely when it comes to students who are like, oh, but I don't want to do cold outreach. I'm like, Just do it. But there, there's a lot of, um, I, I don't know what to call them really. I mean, you're the expert, but it's kind of like I find it, in a lot of places, there's sort of this lizard brain reaction, it seems like, to what really doesn't seem like a risky activity where this I just get this almost uh, primal pushback against doing certain things. Of course, with pricing, because that's a huge, that's the main focus of the podcast. So people not really... Uh, valuing or not knowing how to value what they do, their the sort of worth of their business. And it seems to me in some cases, ma many cases, I would say, it tracks back to a little bit of a, a self-confidence issue and or and or a lack of clarity about what value their work has to their clients. Does that does that map to things that you've seen when working with people? Absolutely. I, th I think that's the, that's the crux of the challenge is when you go independent, when you become an entrepreneur, when you kind of take responsibility for um, selling your own work and signing your own paycheck, and you, you kind of go off of the well-trodden path of some other person is going to assess what your value is and tell you what your value is and give you that paycheck that's commiserate with your value. Like, all of your business becomes intertwined with your own identity and your personal self once you sort of step off the 
path of the nine to five, someone else, you know, signs your paycheck kind of deal. So there's no way to get around some of the mental health or emotional or identity kinds of issues once you go out on your own. Yeah, it's un- it's it's unbelievable. <laughs> it's unbelievably powerful, isn't it? Like you'd like people to just be like super rational about how they operate in their business, but especially once their business is so deeply entwined with their sense of self, like mm-hmm. we're just not that rational about that. Mm-hmm. Right. So not only does it turn out, so here's, here's a common path that I see people taking. So they've got a full-time job. They become dissatisfied for some reason at the full-time job, but they have a, they have acquired a sense of mastery around some kind of skill that they were paid to do there, whether it's development or design or Photoshop jockey, whatever it is, they, they feel like they're really good at a thing. They've been getting paid for it. So they know it's worth something. Uh, but they've been having one-on-ones and they get they get feedback. Hopefully they have a halfway decent manager that gives them feedback about how they're doing. And there's sort of, like you said, it's a well-trodden path. There's a, there's a feedback loop built into most full-time jobs. And you go, you, for some reason, you become dissatisfied with that. Maybe you feel underpaid or whatever it is. And then you say, you know what? Forget it. I'm going to go out on my own and and I'm going to do this. I'm going to I'm going to sell this skill to people sort of uh, ad hoc on an ad hoc basis. And they go out and at first they are, they are like, wow. I mean, I felt like I was being taken advantage of, uh, taken advantage of by my employer, but it turns out it's really hard to do a whole bunch of things that they did for me that I took for granted. It, it, there's like a giant laundry list of, you know, you could just say a oh, payroll insurance, like five kinds of insurance. You've got healthcare, you've got errors and admissions, you've got disability insurance, You've got life insurance. You've got, you know, on and on and on and on. There are a million things that you have to do when you're running your own business that are really hard. Uh, you probably have no idea how to do sales. So you've got all of these really tactical things that are just jammed in your face that all of a sudden you need to figure out. The things that are a little bit, the things that we're talking about now are more qualitative or intangible aspects of having an employer that I think sometimes don't even, or maybe more than sometimes, often don't even come to a conscious level for somebody who has gone out freelancing. Now all of a sudden they've got two jobs. They do their freelance thing, like they develop iOS apps or whatever. And they also need to be a marketer and, you know, chief cook and bottle washer. And they, uh, uh, tell me if this is true. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. They, They, after a while, they start to feel burnt out or they start to doubt that this was a good idea or they start to feel depressed or they start to feel um, like this sort of futility in the effort because they, and my, I'm putting words in your mouth, but, and I feel like it's because they're not getting any feedback. They don't, people do not, in my experience, people are not good at asking for feedback in general and they're especially bad at it when they're freelancing they just do not ask their clients for feedback. In fact, they are scared to do it because it's one of the things I recommend people do. Mm-hmm. And they're like, I don't, I don't know if they're, and they, I usually hear this one. Oh, they'll never get back to me if I send that email. I'm like, okay, send the email. Well, I, I don't know if it'll be appropriate for me to send the email. I'm like, why not just send the email? Why not just ask? I'm like, well, I'm probably bothering them. I'm like, would you just send the email? <laughs> <laughs> you're clearly like bumping your head up against some kind of like mental block and the mental blocks are hard. They're big, they're hard. And I think, you know, if you think about us, like as a species, like we are a, a kind of tribal 
species that is used to being in groups and having a place within a group. And so what what a traditional job does for you psychologically is it is it gives you a clear identity and an assignment of like this is the button you push, you sit in this chair, you are this part of the cog in the wheel. And and that is actually kind of psychologically helpful. Like we're often looking for that on some base level. We want to know like where our slot is in the world, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So once you, again, step off the track, you're, you've re- you're becoming a little bit psychologically deviant and you have to do more work for yourself to find your, you know, your sense of identity and place in the larger community or in the larger economy. And that's a, that's a pretty like ballsy, hard thing to do to define for yourself what your identity is. I mean, I think we all like to think that we can do that very easily, but, you know, some of the stories that you're telling really reflect like this base level kind of reptilian brain level fear of I'm afraid to carve this out for myself or I'm afraid to get feedback I won't like or I'm afraid to step away from the things that I know that are well defined for me. Mm, I'm glad you used the word identity because that seems to come up a lot. So one of the things that everything that I do with students is really driving to increasing their profits and the profits of their clients. So really it's about increasing their clients' profits, which then leads to you increasing your own profits. And one of the things that I think is critically important to doing that in most cases, not all, but in most cases, what's critically important is to focus on the outcomes that you provide to those clients and to talk about yourself and your business in those terms which is almost always a 180 degree switch from their use from what, what they're used to doing, which is talking about what they do in their terms, kind of like uh, like a, a typical a typical web page or marketing website for a, a freelance web developer or a freelance iOS developer or whatever. It's basically like a resume. It's like, here are the clients I've worked for. Here are the things that I'm good at. Here are the skills that I possess. Me, 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 me. Mm-hmm. And it's really easy to do because you know you really well. And it turns out you don't probably know your clients very well. Uh, you probably haven't. They, they tend not to give you tons of feedback. They either pay. You're like, I don't know. They're paying me. I guess they're happy. You know, and that's pretty much what it amounts to. So so I see this 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 just strong uh it's almost like uh, it's borderline fear. It's almost a panic response when I suggest to someone that they stop calling themselves an iOS developer and they start saying something like, I help credit unions increase member engagement. Or I mean, just talking about it in different terms. They'd still do the exact same job. They'd just talk about it in terms that their ideal buyers would care about instead of talking about it in terms that they care about. And just the panic that comes out of that and the resistance and the fear that comes out of that is is breathtaking at times. So what do you think people could do to kind of ease that transition to maybe get a mirror onto themselves of how they appear to the outside world, especially their clients? I mean, I think some of the the problem that you're describing is this like reality that we all want to be known and understood. And we can misplace that desire. Like it's not necessarily that we want or need our our clients or a software client to understand us. Um, What we need is for us to understand them well enough to articulate what we can do for them in a way that they understand. Like we have to adapt their language, not they come into our language. 
but that that puts a little bit more work and responsibility on on us as you know as the person who's providing the value to try to do that translation and i think that's that's really scary when you you sort of think about the challenge of speaking another language and how you don't feel like you have the upper hand because you're not using terms that are familiar to you you're not using your primary language anybody who spent time traveling you know in a in a place that speaks a different language you you realize there's a certain amount of disorientation and it doesn't feel good when your livelihood or your money is at stake to allow yourself to enter some disorientation but i think this uh, sort of an ad- adaptation of a growth mindset to say, okay, it feels really strange to talk about it like this right now, but the more I practice, the more fluent I will become in this language, the language of my clients, not my language, and the easier it will be the more that I practice and the more that I do it. So I think it's also distinguishing like this feels uncomfortable now, which is absolutely true. It feels totally uncomfortable to start talking about yourself and your work in completely new terms. But it won't always feel uncomfortable. It's sort of like it's hard the first time and the second time, the third time, but by the like 11th time, it gets easier and it's simpler and you're, you become more fluent in this new way of thinking. Uh, yes. All, everything you just said is 100% right. I completely agree with it. I've seen it bear out time and time again with myself and students that it is a and, – and to be perfectly honest, I probably don't um, respect – how hard that is for people. I definitely don't. Like you you just sort of articulating that makes me realize that like, wow, I don't really do a good job setting them up for how uncomfortable it's going to be to start speaking someone else's language. I'm like, I just say, just do it. Like, <laughs> you know. That, that's the tough love part of you. Yeah. <laughs> get out there. <laughs> yeah. So that's, I, I, I will get better at that. But it is critical though. So that's why I'm kind of like, look, yeah, whatever. It's going to be hard. Just do it. And, and I could, I could, I could probably be more effective for them by being, by kind of telling them, look, this is going to be hard. It's going to hurt. And I'm going to probably quote you exactly because you articulated it really well, that you're going to feel, you're going to feel out of your depth. You're going to feel like you're speaking a foreign language. You're going to feel dumb. So, okay, that is the price you pay to get over that hump and to really start helping these people. It will really differentiate you from anybody else who hasn't gotten over that hump. It's like if it was easy, everybody would do it. Right. Not everybody does it. It's also a learned skill. Like, I mean, I I don't know your, your offerings well enough to know how much you talk about this, but like it's a really learned skill to figure out how to get inside the mind of another person and to like intentionally and carefully listen to their language and be an investigator of their language, sort of be an anthropologist of your client. So that's its own skill that can be taught. But I think maybe breaking it down into these different pieces to figure out, okay, how do I figure out what their language is? What, what are their goals? What, do, what questions do I ask myself or my client to get inside of their culture, so to speak, and start to use their language? I'm getting a neck cramp. I'm nodding so hard here. It's like... <laughs> so if you don't teach people how to do that already, Jonathan, you should. <laughs> yeah, I'll send them to you. It's like not my strong point. But I, I know I can do a better job at that and I will do that. Uh, what the, the thing that it sounds like, the, the word that I, I tend to use to kind of sum up the whole concept of thinking like your client, putting yourself in their shoes. I mean, the word I think we're talking about is empathy here. And to, to be able to to adopt an empathetic mindset to your ideal buyers 
is a smart thing to do. It's a good thing to do for your business. Uh, it, it is not an easy thing to do for lots of people, though. And this no, always, yeah. It, it, and I never understood why, but I was, I was, uh, actually, I'm in a chat room actually with Seth Godin of all people, and he, he said, I, I, don't, I don't know if I'm crossing some line by sharing this, but it's such a great insight that I'll take the risk. Um, he, he said something about empathy, and the, and you know, this is critically important. He believes that it's critically important for anyone who uh, is doing any kind of marketing in any way. It's critical to be empathetic to the people you're trying to serve. And I was always like, what, but, but why don't people want to do it? It seems like people just don't want to do it. And somehow in this conversation, I don't know if it was his idea or it occurred to me or what, but when, when you ask someone to be empathetic, you're asking them to take on someone else's pain in addition to all of the pain that they're currently struggling under. Absolutely. Pain's a strong word, but you get the idea. It's like, you know, the struggle you're asking to take on somebody else's struggle. And, and all of a sudden the light bulb went on. I was like that, that's the resistance. The resistance is because it's like, I've got so much on my shoulders now trying to do payroll and pay myself and health insurance and all those things that we listed off at the beginning. I'm not about to go be a sympathetic ear to a dozen, two dozen people that are my potential clients. I just can't, I haven't got the energy emotionally to take that on. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, well, that makes perfect sense because that it, it, because it's true. You do, you do get that. Like you start to feel, uh, I don't know if the word is empathetic or sympathetic, but you you get this like you get their pain, like you get a version of it or an echo of it, and it it's not comfortable. Well, I think we at a at a neurological level, emotion is contagious. So our brains are designed to read the emotions of others and actually take on the emotions of others. Sort of this mirror mirror neuron process. So it's. What what you're talking about is absolutely real. Like I have my own pain points as a business owner, and then I go talk to someone else's business, and I hear all about their pain points, and suddenly I'm just like swimming in all of this anxiety about all of the things that feel like they can't be solved. Mm-hmm. So that's another another skill is to listen to the pain of another person or another company, another entity. And be able to really actively practice listening well and being empathetic, but without taking on the sense, like the same shared emotion. In fact, a really great helper or marketer or person in this role is able to read the emotion of the room or the emotion of the other person, but like use their Jedi power to infuse calm rather than catch anxiety. So if you're adept enough at emotion, you can come into a very like anxious situation or have a conversation with a potential client who is like going out of their mind about how things are not working well and use your ability to read and understand emotion to instead calm them down, which actually feels fantastic to them and encourages a lot of confidence in you and your ability to manage this difficult situation. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. The hostage negotiator. It's like, well, your job, I mean, you must be- It's my job, yeah. (laughs) Your your whole profession must be, I mean, how, I don't know if this is, this is probably not interesting to the the audience, so I won't go down the rabbit hole, but that seems like a major liability of your entire, there must be, it must be like trained in school how to not, how to separate those two things. 
Absolutely. Like absolutely trained. Just like just like sort of learning the culture of an of another client. Like it's a learned skill. We think that emotions are really um like mysterious and you have to be like a really wise grandma or a witch doctor or something to like get in there with that. And that that's not entirely true. I mean there there's some science behind how we read and understand emotions. And once we start to learn some of that science, we can do a little bit of like hacking the system, so to speak. Um, but most of it is really about knowing and understanding our own reaction to emotions and shortcutting the like anxiety process. So if we can catch like, okay, I'm having this conversation and it's beginning, I'm beginning to feel anxious because my client is anxious. If I can notice that in my, and usually it's in my body first, like that tightness in your stomach or the tightness in your throat or your breath gets a little faster, those cues that are really hardwired within our bodies that help us to sort of read and digest anxiety. Mm -hmm. If we can catch them early and honestly take some very simple, slow, deep breaths, we are now, we are now mastering our own emotional process. And then we can kind of master the emotional process that's happening collectively between other people. Yeah, that's fascinating. It's so, I have like a decade and a half of experience sitting in that situation. The The word anxiety really, really went off like a firecracker in my head when you brought that up, because that's the thing. And to be able to, uh, and, and it connected with some other experience I have of doing public speaking engagements, classic case of uh, butterflies, anxiety, stage fright, all it's a classic case. Um, are a common thing for people to be just like panic about getting up in front of a room and speaking to them. And I have a background in like music performance and all sorts of performing arts. So it's really something that over the years, I still get all of the physical things that similar to what you just described before I get up on a stage, whether it's to play a guitar solo or to present to a room of, you know, a board of directors at a credit union, I still get the physical cues, but I interpret them differently than I used to, or differently than most people do. I, I, I interpret them as excitement. I interpret, I, I feel my body throwing adrenaline into my system to heighten my focus. It's like I took a performance enhancing drug. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't, and I don't say to myself, oh no, my hands are shaking. They're going to think I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm like, sweet, my hands are shaking. Here we go. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's just, it's almost like there's just this shift, not, not, I, I said just like it's easy, but it's this shift of, of first of all, noticing the cues, like you said, taking some deep breaths and being like, okay, I'm in this, I'm getting in the zone. This is, this is pregame. Like we're, we're getting ready to go and, and not trying to, here's the thing, not trying to stop the physical response, right? Just let the physical response happen. Recognize that it's normal, recognize that it's good because it's going to put you at the top of your game. If you let it work for you, if you try and fight it the whole time, now you're doing, you're fighting two battles. But think about how many times you've had that experience in all of the times that you've performed or been on stage or had a conversation that was a little bit challenging. Yeah, thousands. Thousands. Mm -hmm. So that's that's a learned skill to reinterpret those physiological cues to be not threatening or not a sign of threat, but a sign of like, hell yeah, I'm ready to go. Exactly. And that shift it can happen, but again, it's probably an intentional learned skill, especially for people who are really new to the freelancing world or really new to being out on their own. 
it's there's lots of things to be scared of at the beginning and there's lots of possibility for failure and so you've got folks who are already sort of marinating in anxiety and then you add on more challenges and you're wondering why your tough love stuff doesn't work they're like no i am saturated i can't do it right 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 but, but if you break it down second by second this is what your body is going to feel this is what i want you to say in your mind mm-hmm it's possible to sort of re-recode or reinterpret those kinds of feelings in a more positive way. Absolutely. So, and it's funny too, because of the, you know, software folks are well known for being Mr. Spock's type, you know, personality wise, pride themselves on being very rational and logical. And the last thing they want to admit to is like their body taking over the show. So, so it's almost like, well, it's an audience that I would suggest is perhaps less emotionally inclined but the advantage I think is that they're super analytical and could do, could go through a process like you just said, where they're super analytical about like, okay, this I'm, I'm riding around in this car that people call my body and it's, it's doing something funny right now. <laughs> so is that good or bad? Like I hear, I hear the tires screeching. That seems unusual. It's probably- let me collect some data and make an assessment. Yes. Yes. So yep. I, I, I have high hopes that if this could be a 12-step process, that it would be very effective <laughs> for the audience. Well, one of the things that I talk a lot about with this community of people, you know, with software folks is understanding emotions as a source of like a personal metric, that it's it's a piece of data that should be listened to and attended to. If that's emotion about hard conversations or if it's emotion about public speaking or, you know, other kinds of emotions, but that they're not, um, they're not parts of us that we should just like stuff in a box, put some duct tape over it and run. Like it's, it's really valuable data. And if we learn to just like observe and understand our feelings as data rather than as threatening or undesirable or like scary irrational bits, um, then we we serve ourselves better by being able to be more self-reflective when we, you know, collect the data and just allow ourselves to look at it. This, this is amazing. I, I'm sure people are going to find this incredibly valuable. There's one topic area I'm sort of interested in exploring. It's a little bit, it's a little bit to the side of what we've been talking about so far. I wonder what you think about how does the concept of working remotely contribute to all of this? Because I feel like it exacerbates it quite a bit. Do you spend time thinking about that or is it? Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay. I think there are like three or four things that I end up talking about a lot. One of them is is anxiety. Um, the fear of failure is a second. They sort of go hand in hand. But the third one is isolation. So whether someone is working remotely or um, or they're you know alone in their decision making process because they are now the business owner or they're the freelancer and they don't have a team anymore. Um, isolation is like the I think the major major downside of going independent. Hmm. And getting back to like part of our earlier conversation about how we're this we're sort of tribal creatures. We, we run in groups when we go out on our own and go solo. Um, that, that can have some mental health consequences that can be pretty tough for us. We live alone in the echoing halls of our own head and don't have helpful sounding boards. Don't have places that we can talk through our thoughts or our feelings unless we choose them. So that's one of 
I think that's one of the really important things, especially if you are working alone, you're working remote, you're working on a distributed team, you still have to figure out how to have meaningful partnerships and be in a mastermind with people, have regular standups with your team, even if you're in different time zones. I mean, figuring out how to be connected with people is super important from a mental health perspective. And I think you could also make the case that it's really important from just a business development growth perspective. When you have a couple smart people working on a problem, um, you probably do better than than you by yourself. I, I cannot tell you how great it's been for me personally and business-wise to have, I was invited to join a, a mastermind. It's basically just a Slack room for probably two or three years ago. And I could not believe because it's like you said, I was, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of a, I'm comfortable being by myself. Like I'm just one of those people that's cool with that. Like I, I like the echoing halls of my own mind or however you put it. Yeah. Classic introvert. Yeah. I, I dig it. Like me going for a run, I come up with my best ideas. I'm just like, or in the shower, just like when you're isolated, you know, I've got kids and dogs and wife and all that stuff. And it's like in clients and all these things. But you know, when I, and that's great. Like, I love that, but I'm like, I need to recharge my batteries. And the way I do that is, is solitude. So if I don't figure out how to work that into my schedule, I turn into a monster. That, But all that said, I did after, geez, I guess I was working for myself since 2006 and then joined the mastermind. Like maybe it was 2015. Uh, all of a sudden I was like, whoa, like I haven't talked to anybody in nine or 10 years that understands what I do all day long, every day for, for like a decade almost. And so when I got into this mastermind of other people who had businesses similar to mine, it was like, like new horizons left and right. I mean, it just hmm. the forward progress was unbelievable. It's beyond remarkable. It was, it was amazing. Just being able to talk to all these, you know, all these, it was like about 10 people, all were indies. I was the old, I'm actually the oldest one in the room, but I'm sort of a late bloomer. So <laughs> I kind of feel like we're, we're sort of all in the same sort of area. Young at heart. Yeah. I took like 10 extra years living in a van playing guitar. You know, it's like I've already had two careers. So that, or I'm on my second one anyway. So, uh, you know, all of these folks, they were like, just like giving each other tips and like, but not just tips, but that was huge. But also, um, how are you thinking about this? How do you track you know, all, all the operational stuff of running a solo consultancy? But, you know, it didn't happen all the time, but probably once a month, somebody had a real, some kind of downer, whale client quit, um, breaking up with business partner or some, some really big challenge that was emotional, uh, getting, not getting sued by a client, but fearing a lawsuit from a client, we, you know, all of these things and being able to be around these kind of like-minded individuals who you didn't have to explain the, like they just get you they get the situation they understand every the context they get all of it so you can come in with a highly charged really contextualized problem or uh, drag or or a win it could be either it could be a win or epic fail and you can bring it to them and get some sort of it's not sympathy but it's just feeling like, well, you, what do you call that? Connection. 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 Right. Yeah. Empathy. Like yeah. I feel with you. Mm -hmm. I feel with you. I get you. Yeah. And I normally, I'm not a huge, I'm like not real needy that way, but man, is it nice when you really need it? It is amazing. So, I mean, what I'm really, this is a long way of saying that anybody listening, if, 
even if you don't feel this way, not, not being in some sort of community is a, it's gotta be a bad thing. I really feel like even yeah. if you, even if you like working from your basement in your jammies, that's great, but have some kind of chat room or something like what, what, what do you, what do you recommend to people that are, that are, you know, live in the middle of nowhere and work online? Yeah, I think there's, there are a number of resources. Like there's a, a, a little business called mastermind jam um, that helps people get connected with a mastermind for a very like low fee. Going to a couple conferences is also a great way to make some friends that you can then potentially translate into a mastermind moving forward. You know, part of what we do at Zen Founder now is actually to put together what we call Zen tribes that are small groups of six to eight entrepreneurs or freelancers. And we meet every week for eight weeks, and then we meet every month for six months. And we talk a lot about mental health stuff and um, family stuff, but it's also a lot of like business tactics. And it's just people who are deciding to do life together for a period of time. So there are lots of options once you realize that it's important enough and you go looking for them. And they, you know, you don't have to live in Silicon Valley or New York to find other people who are interested in asking the same kinds of questions that you're asking. And are interested in learning. So you can definitely connect with a variety of masterminds and other communities online. Man, that's so good. Well, we're, we're running out of time, so we should probably, I mean, that, that might be a good segue into just asking you, where can people find out more with you, uh, find out more about you, connect with you online, and it, perhaps look into more of this, uh, more of this type of topic if they're feeling the need? Yeah. So this is what I love doing. My husband, Rob and I, we do a podcast together called Zen Founder. So we, you know, we give that away for free. We love to have new listeners. And then I also spend a lot of my time doing one-on-one consulting and then uh, group consulting, running these tribe groups for entrepreneurs, and then um, speaking at conferences. So I'm out and about in the world a lot and talking about I mean, I don't even know. Like sometimes people, when I talk about mental health for entrepreneurs, people are a little like eye rolly about it. But I basically try to help people's lives be better and help them not burn out and get stressed out and be miserable. So um, that's that's my life's work. Yep. <laughs> so you can find me at uh, zenfounder.com or zenfounder at twit on Twitter, the Zen Founder podcast. Yeah, we, we're pretty, uh, pretty brand unified there. Good. So, so Zen Founder online somewhere. Exactly. Uh, this has been absolutely delightful. I love this conversation and I, I, I feel like I've been improved already on this short talk. So thank you very much for that. It's been fun to talk with you, Jonathan. Thanks for having me on. That's it for today. I'm Jonathan Stark and this is Ditching Hourly. See you next time. Hey folks, just want to let you know that I recently upgraded my mentoring program to include six months of unlimited 24-7 access to my private Slack community. So in addition to unlimited email and phone calls, you can now ping me in Slack at your leisure. You can find out more at expensiveproblem.com slash mentoring. Hope to see you there. Hey, Jonathan again. Do you have questions about how to improve your business? Things like value pricing your work instead of billing for your time, or positioning yourself as the go-to person in your space, or maybe productizing your services so you never have to have another awkward sales call or spend hours writing another custom proposal. Book a one-on-one coaching call with me and get answers to these questions and others in the time it takes you to get ready for work in the morning. 
Best of all, you're covered by my 100% satisfaction guarantee. If at the end of the call you don't feel like it was worth it, just say the word and I'll refund your purchase in full. To book your one-on-one coaching call, go to jonathanstark.com slash call, C-A-L-L. That URL again is jonathanstark.com slash call. Hope to see you there.